This is a HeadGum Podcast. Hey everyone, this is Andrew, your favorite podcasting book boy. Here with a quick reminder about our upcoming live show on June 23rd, this is Saturday, at 1.30 p.m. at the Philly Improv Theater here in the city of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Uh, we'll be doing that as part of the Philadelphia Podcast Festival. Uh, we'll have a There's a full schedule for the show up at phillypodfest.com, and we'll have some more ticket info and other things going out over our social feeds over the next couple weeks. I believe Craig will be reading the classic animal war book, Redwall, since uh, books where horrible things happen to anthropomorphized animals has uh, gone well for us at live shows in the past. Anyway, that's uh, Saturday, June 23rd, 1.30 p.m. We'll also be there with my other show, Appointment Television, uh, at the Philly Improv Theater. More info at phillypodfest.com and on our social feeds at twitter.com slash overduepod and facebook.com slash overduepod. Uh, see you there. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast with the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. We're here. We're doing a podcast for you where we talk about books. Yeah, every week one of us reads a book we've never read before and talks to the other one about it. This Ex- is a big, the big 301, a landmark episode. A landmark episode. Yes. We're recording it before we record episode 300, so I assume that we're still, like, all everyone's still good, that our Twilight episode went well. It was awesome. I bet we had a great time. Mm-hmm. Um, I bet Talk everyone about is that Bella. happy with how it went. Do you remember that one really funny joke that we told in that episode, that one that everyone was talking about? Yeah. Yeah, that was a good one. Classic, uh, classic overdue. I also, I can't, can't believe I got vampires wrong again. Happens every time I talk about them. Yeah, you did get them. You just don't understand. I, vampires. vampires don't just understand. What? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we should just dive in. We're we're clearly we don't have a good open. Uh, that implies so that like, any I'm, opens are good though. So I'm gonna be away from home for like two weeks doing college reunion and family stuff, and so I'm recording a, just a whirlwind of podcasts that can go out over the airwaves while I'm not at home. Just, and so this is like. The third of four <laughs> podcasts I'm going to record this week. Ugh. Well, and like I guess in the space of like four days. Oh, your life's so hard. I know it's so hard to put out all this content. Yeah. So it's this so week hard. we are talking about "The Power" by Naomi Alderman. Um, it's yeah, a book are. that came out last year, 2017. Yeah, um, and I found it just... on a best of 2017 book list. Now, whose listed was that? Um, there it was on a couple. I think it made the Washington Post's and the New York Times's. I think you, I found it on both. You know who's listed also made? Craig's Barack Hussein Obama. Oh, it was on Barack Hussein Obama's list. Yes, right uh, now his it was list? on the now it was on the cover of the version, the ebook version that I read. So I could have brought that. Uh, sure, or it, at least guess what you were going to say. I was going to say that it was the top of his list until I realized that his list was alphabetized by author. So I mean, maybe it was. Maybe it, it was still top was top of his list. Maybe he decided to to alphabetize because you know what? This is also the order that I like these books in. I also appreciate that. 
Barack Hussein Obama had a mm-hmm. had a thing at the bottom of his list that said asterisk bonus for hoops fans and a book by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and a book by Shea Serrano. So he knows that like he needs to cordon off the special interest hoops books uh-huh. for his Obama hoops fans. Mm-hmm. Um, keep that separate from like Ron Chernow and Jesmyn Ward. Like you can't be into basketball and literature, but yeah. here are your hoops books. Barack Hoops Obama. <laughs> That's him. Let's talk about Naomi Alderman instead. Let's do it. So you realized after I said, "Hey, I'm going to read this book because uh-huh. we need to fill the schedule," and I just want to read. I just want to read a book that everyone says is good. <laughs> yeah, don't don't knock yourself too hard. I think this is a good selection for the show. Um, but you realized after I picked it that Naomi Alderman wrote the script for an app that you've been using for like years. So yeah. you want to talk about that at all? Yeah. So um, Alderman has a like a background in game writing and like alternate reality game writing in particular. Like that was a project she worked on called Perplex City in the mid aughts. Which That's a good name. Great, <laughs> and it like it was a combination of like blogs and web content, and it had like a real world like prize money component. Um, but no, she got hooked up with this uh, thing called Zombies Run, which is a running app that I've been using for like five years, where you like tell it. There's like missions basically where you go on, you know, however long you want to go for a run, but the the missions have like little 30 to 90 second long audio bits of like people talking in your ear while you're out like running. Because in a zombie apocalypse, the people who are in good shape would obviously like be important and useful either in yeah in the best shape or have the most guns and you can't have like alternate reality gun shooting app i don't think (laughs) i don't think so and so it's all about like like there are scripted events and you got to run like what like certain amount of time certain distance or something to like get to the next part of the story it's you can set a timer um to do it but it'll also you can also set it by distance and you can also have it so that you're doing a story mission but you can turn on random zombie chases where it'll just start beeping and tell you there's a zombie approaching and you have to run real fast which is like (laughs) they there's even a little notice that pops up that's like please be careful in traffic like we they aren't real you can't sue us um but i will say that just like like how whenever you open pokemon go it's like please don't trespass (laughs) when you're playing pokemon go (laughs) don't go in that dude's house to get a wiggly tough um <laughs> but there what i do really like about the app in general just aside from being a functional like cool running app that i have all my runs in now so i can't move to anything else um is <laughs> how they get you that the writing's good enough that like there there's a an example i have is that there's like a path in the city that i run sometimes where like if I'm not doing the story-based mode of Zombies Run, I will have a recall to a particular episode I was listening to Uh where I was, like, running through a zoo, and I think a zombie tiger attacked me. (laughs) And, like, I can picture right now where I was. So, like, it's pretty... It's interesting because it's, it's like, telling you where you're running through, but you're also, like, processing, like, where you literally are in real space. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's just very effective. And, And so... I was kind of interested to hear about this book, The Power, which is also a little future dystopic, um, though I don't think that's characteristic of the rest of her work explicitly. Um, this I also don't know book. if I'd say zombie is necessarily no, 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 dystopian. No. <laughs> Wait. Everything would be so perfect if it weren't for these zombies everywhere. Well, that's what dystopia means. It's bad. I guess. I guess. 
It's not a zombie utopia, though I am interested I to find out about one of those. Dystopia, I feel like dystopia's got to be weird in a Black Mirror sort of way. Like, it can't just be, like, upfront bad. It has to be, oh, like, yes. subtly that's a good point. Okay. bad. You know, that's what topia means, <laughs> probably. I don't think so, but okay. <laughs> so, Alderman, let's talk about her. British. British, born 1947. Um, there's a... 47? 74. Oops. <laughs> I typed that backwards. It's like, yeah, she's like 42. Yeah, <laughs> like, what are you talking please about? Please correct me on air. Um, she, this is, some of this is coming from an interview she did with The Guardian in uh, 2016, um, where she grew up to like middle class academic, uh, what she calls unorthodox Jews, um, and very academically curious. I think her dad was like a professor and um, but she says that she didn't have a, like, rebel teen period. There was, like, a family member who committed suicide, and her parents were really, like, everything, everyone was really upset, and everything was kind of teetering on the edge. So she kind of, like, retreated into just whatever her parents needed her to do. Um, I think and- rebel teen periods often are for people without bigger problems yeah, to deal with <laughs> for sure um but she did end up not to of, like minimize anybody no 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 like no. problematic teenagerhood i'm just i'm thinking of like the whole vein of what that is of early yeah. 2000s pop punk that, yes <laughs> that's true. about how hard it is to be a white kid living in suburbia yeah like re- rebelling by wearing invader zim t-shirts that you bought with your money with your allowance. With your Spencer's gifts gift card. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so she didn't really break from her you know, family. That's how she characterizes it. But she did end up, you know, two of her novels deal with kind of rewriting or breaking with uh, her Jewish faith. So her first novel in 2006, Disobedience, which is what got her like a bunch of acclaim. She won the Orange Award and was the Sunday Times Young Writer of the Year, um, is about like an Orthodox rabbi with a lesbian daughter from New York. Um, and then her later book, The Liar's Gospel in 2012, uh, is like, it's about Jesus, but like maybe he's just kind of a huckster. And it's like told from a bunch of different people's point of views. And both of them got attention from, you know, negative attention, let's say, from folks who were like, this is blasphemous, or this is, I'm not going to review this in my Jewish publication because sure. I don't like what this is saying about how it is to grow up in the orthodox faith and Uh her like dad came to her defense it's kind of interesting she's the quote she has of dis of disobedience is that i went into the novel religious and by the end i wasn't i wrote myself out of it um but i think her interest in religion is still there and i think it factors into this book a little bit yeah Um, they're one of the so it's told through the eyes primarily of of four characters one of one of whom one of which I don't remember it's fine <laughs> one of which uh sets herself up as the head of of this new church that rises from the ashes of pretty much all the world religions because they all huh. get upended by this by this new dynamic but we'll we'll talk about that more in a bit interesting um, um so then this book we can just talk about where this book came from so in 2012 uh alderman was selected as part of the Rolex Mentor and Protege Arts Initiative. <laughs> I want to I didn't click on this before to see like who else has been a part of this. Um I know that I want to say Martin Scorsese and Alfonso Cuarón 
have been mentors. Philip Glass was someone's mentor. Huh. Julie I really Taymor. like the like a the, when a fancy brand gets in on this stuff because yeah. usually it's just like. <laughs> Oh, here's the Margaret Atwood dystopian fiction prize brought to you by Mountain Dew, yeah. like Baja Blast. Or the Doritos Cool Ranch The Doritos music. Locos Tacos prize in fiction. <laughs> oh, this is like getting an infinite jest territory that I'm not comfortable with. Um, but so, yeah, in 2012, she was selected as part of this like watch company's protege initiative, <laughs> uh, which paired her with Margaret Atwood. Um, there's a great interview with the two of them in The Telegraph from around that time where they approached Atwood. She says, they jumped me in a bar at Books Expo America and... Uh, she said, oh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> they, she says, they laid out what an excellent thing this was and didn't quite say, don't you want to pass something on before you croak, but almost made you feel that way. If you didn't do it, these young people would be deprived, to which Alderman replied, yes, I would definitely be deprived. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then she said that she grew up kind of idolizing Atwood. Um and a quote from her, I'd been to an Orthodox Jewish primary school where every morning the boys said, thank you, God, for not making me a woman. If you put that together with the handmaid's tale in your head, something will eventually go fizz boom. So uh, fizz boom. You're working with Margaret Atwood. Fizz boom, indeed. Um, and towards the end of the interview, they were asked what, what they each would like to get out of it. And this is just really sweet. Atwood says, for Naomi to finish her book and for it to be brilliant. And Alderman says, for me to finish my book and for it to be quite good. <laughs> so <laughs> they seem like they like hit it off. And as I said, I think Alderman, the main thing that she credits Atwood with, you know, for the book is this idea of adding this convent to it, which maybe we'll talk about and the religious aspect. Um, but yeah, it's, it won a slew of awards. As I said, it uh, got on... Uh, Barry Obama's list, um, and yeah, here we are. We're a bunch of like a book. bunch of best of fiction lists last year. Yes, um, yeah. So, so what is this book about, Andrew? So, what it's a what's what is primarily about is imagine now times, like 2017, 2018? Yeah, imagine like the twenty tens, that decade. Except okay. all of a sudden. Every woman in the whole world grows this organ across their collarbone that gives them Pikachu powers and lets them zap everybody. Okay. <laughs> like, okay. Are they all equally good at... Like, where no, does they're it come not, they're, from? It, so it's it's a little... it's. In the book, it's not super important. So it, you do get little, um, little infinite jest is actually an interesting, um, an interesting reference point because you get little bits of like quote unquote historical data interspersed oh, between okay. some chapters. And so in one that's presented as like this smattering of evidence from before the cataclysm, there is, there's some evidence that some World War II era, like anti, um, some like anti, I don't even remember what it's some kind of like biological weapon or, or gas or something that's supposed to protect from gets into the groundwater. And the thing about it is like the effects are cumulative and they never fade out of your body. And so all these people drink this water and they have all this chemical in them. And then all of a sudden they have these electrical organs now like okay. that's, that's presented as one possible Reason why there are also some like biological 
um, some biological explanations offered and maybe some religious explanations offered. But in the end, it's not super important. It's less important how it happens and more important that it happens. Like she throws enough how it happens stuff in here for people who are curious about that kind of thing, but she doesn't really dwell on it too much. Well, and what you just said sounds like it might even be a good avenue anytime that she was that she's writing about how it reminds me of something like the leftovers or any, any show that's based on like a big premise like this or a book that's based on a big premise like this, where like when you start talking about the how that's just as much a vehicle to reveal like how something about the character who you're like reading about learn or like what Mm -hmm. they think happened tells you something about that character even more than it tells you like literally about the world. Um, It's like if they, if, religion is more important to them or if science is more important to them or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. So what, how do people react to so this? So the, like the main, the main thing about the power. And so if you, if you think of Handmaid's Tale, right? Okay. Handmaid's Tale is like, what if, what if the world we know except all of the misogyny and the male power is like even more prevalent and obvious and like taken to its logical extreme. Yeah. What if you took the quiet or like moderately loud part and just turned it all up to 11? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so the power is like, what if women were innately more like both, both perceived as and actually innately more like, physically powerful and intimidating than men all of a sudden okay in a world that had here for heretofore been our own and so like men had been in charge for a long time and then suddenly the script flips yeah so separating this from even like some of some other like speculative fiction or like a Le Guin bit of fiction where it's like Here's a world where this happened. Like this is our universe. It cl- it carries all of our baggage through this transformation. Yeah, and we'll and we'll talk more about like the the world that is built and then the meaning of of things. But when you're in the bulk of what is actually the book, sure. Yeah, it is it is our society being exposed to this and then gradually kind of coming apart over um over a, the course of about a decade. Okay. Okay. Um, so uh, I re- I was reading this interview with Alderman in the New York Times. You had linked it to yep. me in the in the Slack as part of your research. And there are a couple, uh, there are just a few questions that that she answered that I think were really illustrative. So illustrative, illustrative. Whew, I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> I got lost in that word. You said it both ways, and it's like it's the Yanny Laurel of this podcast. Yesterday there, I-, I tried to say. <laughs> I tried to say appellate court. Is that even right? Yeah, how it I is. Said you that? got it. And, but I said it wrong, and people may find me for not listening to enough NPR because oh. that's, I guess, how people learn how to say the word appellate. <laughs> that's I. I either read. I think I read something the other day that was like, when people say words wrong, like, but it's like a, it's. You know, part of an idea they're expressing and they maybe just mispronounce it. Like, it's probably just because they read a bunch. It's probably because they read a bunch and they never heard the word said out loud. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's funny, though. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. So the interviewer asks, um, are the social and sexual upheavals that gave rise to the Me Too movement something you could have seen coming? 
um, part of Alderman's answer is uh, some of the news has sort of caught up to the book in this very strange way. Both have been part of a growing anger over the past decade, which to me uh, related to the increasing visibility of certain kinds of misogyny. So that will come up a few times in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later on, she's talking about like imagining herself. Like So she's a she's Jewish culturally, like you like you mentioned. And she says, um, like, as far as writing fiction goes, like, but for me, the larger question about the Holocaust is not how do you avoid being a victim? It is how do you avoid being a Nazi? Which I think is really a question that that people need to think about a little bit. Yeah. Um, but then the interviewer follows up. So potentially we are all we all are oppressors. Uh, Alderman says, do you think that you are so exceptional that if you'd been born a German in the 1930s, you would have understood immediately that Lebensraum was a lie, that you would have tried to assassinate Hitler? Do you believe that your ethics are so exceptional that you would immediately have rebelled? Hmm. Um, If you and I lived in a world where women were dominant, would you be telling yourself, this is very unjust, I will fight for the rights of men? If we lived in the world of the power, I don't think we would be magically... I don't think I would be magically excluded from the way the world operates. I don't think I can say I would have been the enlightened person with or without the power. I believe the way the system teaches me to behave. So that all of those quotes and and in particular that last one, I, as I remember from reading this interview, kind of set up this book in my mind as like an raising a lot of questions, but maybe not like coming at this concept with a particular a agenda is very loaded term but that's like it doesn't seem to want to like just do wish fulfillment or yeah i mean some of it some of it is a little i don't know like and then this this gets brought up in the interview too we should just link it on twitter sometime after this episode goes up if if we think about it but um you know there there are elements of this that might feel like a little revengey or or whatever and sure. that's you know that's that's earned I yeah i think so that's true like men have men have done a lot of bad stuff to women over the years i think that's pretty safe to say well and there's also um, a lot of fiction that is predicated on women experiencing trauma and uh like on the one hand, it's like, okay, you are shedding a light on things that are happening. And on the other hand, it's a lot of like easy storytelling hooks to like emotionally manipulate your way through a situation. Yeah. Cause it, like at a certain point when you boil this book down, it's just kind of a thought experiment. Like what if, what if women did have power and men did not all of a sudden? And yeah. so part of what you get to explore through that is, you know, you, you, like when you talk about getting more representation for women in government or or in other in other places, you're you one of the one of the suppositions there is like, oh, would would we not understand women's issues better? Might we not be like less inclined to to get into wars or to argue because women are coded to like get along better and like seek more diplomatic solutions to things like these are all questions that get asked. I think a yeah. lot of the time when you talk about this, Yeah, this book and, and something the New York times review of the book um, brings up like this book isn't interested in what happens if we reached true parity between men and women. It's asking like, what if stuff was just straight up flipped, flipped around? Yeah. And so what happens is women get literally this power that they can wield over men and you see over the course of of a decade like the the 
early phases where this is treated as some kind of crisis, but possibly like a temporary one. And then you see kind of a middle period where it seems like men are getting their just desserts a little bit. And then you see this late period where men are adapting to this new reality where women can just do whatever to them. Mm. Um, And a lot of it is just intentionally using, um, using things that you would use to talk about, like say rape or something now, except applying it to, to men instead of women. So that there's um, women can like shock a man's uh, genitalia Mm. to make him ready to rumble so ooh yeah okay like physically speaking yeah. yeah and so there's a lot of language in there about like oh this you know my body is betraying me like this i i hate this but there's nothing i can do about it you know that that kind of stuff yeah that's pretty ingenious actually yeah um, um so so there is a lot of that just like straight up flipping it and just seeing how it how it works when the shoe's on the other foot yeah because um, so i was there's a i think there's a wapo review that cites a couple other books one of which is this book i've actually never heard of heard of before called Herland from 1915 uh, both, by, the, both the new york times and the wapo review reference that specific yeah. book which makes um, me i i don't know if makes it gets me curious like cited yeah. somewhere or what but. um charlotte perkins gilman wrote this feminist utopia where like everything becomes ruled by like peace and wisdom and like that is the best case scenario and perhaps a real case scenario but it probably takes a lot of work um and this they that review and the new york times review as you said kind of contrast this book um the power with that scenario of just being like no alderman sounds like she's really interested in absolute power corrupting absolutely yeah that's that's definitely the case and so the the other thing about the book um is that it is like the bulk of the book is a kind of a book within a book um, yeah can you lay that out for me i couldn't written really understand by, it so so reading. the opening the very opening thing you say you see in the book is um presented as this like written correspondence between two characters like a woman who's kind of a, a publisher uh, named Naomi, and then a man whose name is Neil, but his full name is an anagram of Naomi Alderman. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, and so he's he's saying, you know, I I am he's a historian, and instead of writing like his latest history book, he is writing this sort of novelized history about the cataclysm and the time before. And then you read the whole book and then you get back to a bunch more letters that are written between them. And it's become obvious that this is an actual historical event and he's like filling in the blanks and he's filled in the blanks in a way that makes it look exactly like our world. You know, does that make sense? Yes. Yes. Um, So like the pre-cataclysm world in this in fiction work of historical fiction in our <laughs> historical world. So what you're saying is that we're living in a simulation. Yeah, like the Matrix. Sure. What if the Matrix is real? You can't prove it isn't. I think Reddit proved that it is real. If right, I cool. If Good I, job, Reddit. Yeah. Reddit detectives um, out there, everybody. And so what what's what you see in this first set of letters, but especially in the second set of letters after you've read the whole book and you're keyed into what the book is doing and and the ways it's doing it you get this publisher naomi 
being like vaguely condescending and gross about this man and his work Mm. in a way that is that, you know, that also flips the normal dynamic. So uh, this is Naomi writing to Neil. I feel instinctively, and I hope you do too, that a world run by men would be more kind, more gentle, more loving, and naturally nurturing. Have you thought about the evolutionary psychology of it? Men have evolved to be strong worker homestead keepers, while women with babies to protect from harm have had to become aggressive and violent. The few partial patriarchies that have ever existed in human society have been very peaceful places. And so that in, I think that's Alderman sort of puncturing this society run by women would be innately peaceful because that's how women innately are thing yeah the, her it sounds like the maybe not her argument but the argument of the thought experiment is that the power dynamic dictates how you behave in the power dynamic not whoever you are bef- like on either side does that make like right. it's not like it's not a male or female thing it is an empower versus less power thing yeah, and then and then Naomi ends that letter by saying, "I just want to challenge your thinking here before the critics do." Like being all, mm. you can you the the like smiley face emoji after it is sort of implied, like. <laughs> 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 but just in that, not, not, condescending in like a specific way that you can quite immediately put your finger on, but subtly condescending in a way that I think like male superiors often are with women who are like working with them or for them. Yeah. Can I share Um, another one from, this is from the Atlantic review where they uh, talk about these letters that you're talking about right now, uh where um, Neil's letters are defined by their self-effacing tone, their breathless apologies and effusive thanks. Anyway, sorry, I'll shut up now. Thank you so much for this. And I'm so grateful you could spare the time. Naomi's are full of bravado and casually sexualized language. Mm -hmm. I see you've included some scenes with male soldiers. You saucy boy. Uh, (laughs) It's a writerly device that sheds more light on the unshakable and self-perpetuating imbalance of male-female interactions than hours of sociological research could. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, that's fascinating. It's a, and I'm, I was interested to hear that you were also finding that to come through. And, um, and there's, there's one of Neil's letters that starts... Um, dear Naomi, thank you for that. I know you're trying. You're one of the good ones, which oh, is... Oh, God. <laughs> no... That's can I just as someone who aspires to be one of the good ones? Yeah, right. Literally, <laughs> but like, but literally thinking through aspiring to be one of the good ones and how that looks and feels like, I I hate that that is work that people have to do, like that women have to do to like sort through what men are like, who's signaling one of the good ones as. and who isn't. Yeah, yeah, sure. like like. Buffy vampires pretending to look like hot boys and then they become goblin men. <laughs> like, sure, just like we're that. we're all just teetering on the brink here is what I'm saying, and that the idea that like it's there's a whole sheep and wolf's clothing, wo- sheep and wolf's clothing, yeah, sheep and wolf's that clothing. one. There's a whole sheep and wolf's clothing thing going on. Oh, Gender God. is a shell game. What is a man? Whatever a woman isn't. What is a woman? Whatever a man is not. Tap on it and it's hollow. Look under the shells. It's not there. Hmm. Hmm. 
Hmm. Does the book? Okay, can I before you dive into the characters because I don't want to learn a little bit. Yeah, about let, like I'm, I kind of want to get all the like this is what this is the big picture stuff yeah. the book is doing stuff out of the way and then we can does, run through all the characters and yeah. Does the world of the book mostly confine itself to gender binary and like hetero relationships, or does it explore any of the any of other kind of? Like same sex stuff, or you folks do. Caught I in mean, between. There, there's not a lot of there's the not binary. a lot of same sex relationship stuff. Um, there are some references, both in one character you see, and then a few others that you hear about, um, about um, examples of men who have this electrical organ. Okay. Um. So you know, gender is a spectrum in the book, even though you don't spend a lot of time specifically exploring that. You do hear about people who don't strictly conform to the male female split. Okay. Yeah, because because it's presented as a like ma- let's call it magically biologic biologic thing magically biological. Mm-hmm. Um, I was interested in how it is like grappling with biology as as we know it. Right. Um, yeah. Like the, the most of the books, so you get three uh, women, one man, and then there are a couple. You know, there are a couple other characters who you occasionally visit, but everybody who you're in the head of pretty much is presenting as their biological gender and, okay Which, and that's that's how, how that's how the world is primarily being explored okay cool so who are these people and what is their deal so you got you got four people basically there's um there is uh margo who is an american politician who's uh who's so how how this power ends up awakening is it's all the the young girls first Huh. Who just like innately get it, and then when they touch older women, like, unless they're over the age of like seventy or something, because some some older women don't have enough of the chemical in them or whatever. Like some some older women just don't don't have this innate power. But most of the time, when a younger girl touches a woman and like jolts them with this electricity, it wakes up the capability in the older women. Okay, and so you've got a probably a year or two where this thing is just slowly like waking up and spreading and people are kind of, I don't know, trying to get a sense of it. Like it's an app that all the teens are using. (laughs) I guess. Or like it's a, it's a fad or it's a, it's a disease that, that we don't fully understand the import of. Okay. Um, so you got Margo whose daughter who wakes up in her daughter and then her daughter wakes it up in Margo. Mm-hmm. You've got uh, Roxy, who is the daughter of a um, a British crime boss. Whoa! You've got um, Tunde, who is a male reporter. Okay. And then you've got um, Ali, also known as Mother Eve, who is a foster kid who's abused, who gets away, who hears a voice in her head, and this voice goads her into becoming this religious figurehead huh that nobody really knows nobody really knows her true identity but she it's not even really infiltrating except that it is she kind of infiltrates this <laughs> this convent for mistreated girls and then she begins leading that and then through like viral videos and YouTube and and stuff like she becomes the sort of mythic figure and eventually like grows oh to the God. point where she's taking over entire world religions. I just realized that 
this book is taking place in the present day and YouTube would definitely be a thing. YouTube's definitely a thing. Oh no. Um, there's there's this cutesy bit in the middle where um where I guess Neil, the author of the book within a book, is talking about pre-cataclysm um artifacts. And so he's talking about this slate that's like partly metal partly glass and it's got the uh the bitten fruit motif on the back of it and scholars aren't sure what the bitten fruit means it maybe it was intended to like serve food on maybe it was like a religious artifact like nobody really knows are there not brands in neil's world do we not have (laughs) well just it goes it's kind of poking a little bit of fun at archaeology where we find this statue yeah. with like big old boobies on it and they're like oh it must be it's a fertility statue mm, very <laughs> interesting we're like maybe it's just porn maybe it's just some porno you know not yeah. everything has to be all hoity-toity <laughs> yeah maybe we said it was a god because we all just liked porn that much mm-hmm. the god of porn not the god of like apples and stuff <laughs> What were we talking about? We were talking about the uh, Mother Eve. Okay, so and, yeah, those like, those YouTube are the those are the four characters, okay. and so the book is is split up into it. It starts ten years ago, and then it's like counting down to what eventually reveals itself to be this like cataclysmic event. Interesting. Um, so you've got ten years to go, nine years to go, eight years to go, six, five years, one year can't be more than seven months left. Uh, here it comes. Oh boy! <laughs> like here these are like chapter the titles. Chapter. These are um, or like book ta- book kind of thing. Kind of, I guess kind of book titles a little bit. Like they're they're books that are then divided up into four or five POV chapters each. Okay. Okay. Um. So yeah, most of the time, each of these little subheadings gets one chapter from each of our main characters. Toward the end, you start hearing a bit from Jocelyn, who is Margot's daughter, just kind of, mm. and all the, all the characters are like, they're never in the same room, like talking to each other, but as they all come up in stature, they all begin like interacting with each other in, in a lot of different ways. Okay. Um, so yeah, like Margot's arc is she starts as a mayor with a, like, who's like, trying to because her daughter has this power thing she's trying to help girls who have the power and she's facing off against this like condescending male governor and she starts building these camps to like nominally to help girls learn how to use it but they end up being these i don't know like Halliburton training military (laughs) camps and so she wins the governorship and then she becomes a senator and she's going to be tapped to run for president and she's moving up in the world and she's like inextricably financially linked with these military groups that she's kind of sort of oh man commanding a little bit like she has a lot of incentive to do things politically that that um are good for the military group so like if we were to get into a war or something it would be good for North Star, which is the name of the military camps. God, that's a good name. And therefore, it would be good for, for all Margot. Huh. Um, Roxy, we watch um, take revenge on someone with her father's gang for the murder of her mother. Um, then she starts 
like she goes into America to go into hiding for a bit. She meets Allie, who by at this point is going by Mother Eve. Okay. And sort of becomes still an underworld figure, but also sort of a right hand person that's for a, Allie. That's a trope I like in in fiction that's dealing with kind of these like new prophet figures is the character who ends up following that person the out character of, who gets their hands dirty yeah who and who's like wrapped up in the religiosity of it and in like maybe doesn't necessarily believe in the movement but like follows it out of other conveniences yeah she's then, like she's as close to like she's the only person who Allie almost tells her name to after like post oh wow okay mother eve like so they're they are as close to friends as with each other as either of them gets with anybody sure but sure. yeah it's still like and so, and so the way that these so the way that margo and roxy and Allie are all linked is Allie is wrapped up so there's this this country that is kind of the sex before in the time before the power comes in is like the sex trafficking capital of the world. Okay. And then once the power comes in, there's a big old uprising and it becomes this matriarchal society with this sort of unstable ruler. And so Ali is sort of pulling the strings and Margot's military people are sort of in that country helping fight the men who are still occupying the northern part of it. Okay. And then Roxy is smuggling in and developing these cocaine-ish drugs that make the power like way more powerful. Oh no. Um, oh man. I'm just impressed. And then like, you've got Tunde who's just an observer of events. Yeah, is he like what is is he like a journalist or something? Yeah, so he's he's a journalist and he serves two roles. Like one is to be an observer of events, like to to see these things from the outside and sort of catalog them as you and I would would observe them. Sure. Like, so as you and I would read about our world turning into this new one, like not being do you mean the, what we do every day? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then, and he's also showing he's us what it, he, yeah. he's showing us what it is to be a man who suddenly is is in this world. So at, at first, when the power very first comes in, it's exciting, and he's chasing from story to story, and women sort of respect him and his press his press creden- credentials, and then there's this one formative moment where this woman just this this unhinged woman just sort of shocks him and he comes to this realization that like i am not safe anywhere like it's not safe for me to go out at night in places Mm. there are places where i can't go and be like guaranteed safety it's it's a lot of just like how being a woman in the world always has this like undercurrent of Oh, you can't presume being hyper aware of your surroundings and all that stuff. Yeah, it's 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 that except flipped. Hmm. Um. So yeah, that's that's the main bit of it. And as you get closer to the cataclysm, like things kind of come to a head. Some assumptions that the characters had made don't necessarily end up being true, and a (laughs) a war that. So so what what ends up happening is. Allie, who's having a, this conversation with a voice in her head, it's not sure who the, it's. It's not clear who the voice is. Okay. Except that 
it is like somebody, something with its own agenda that is separate from Allie's. Huh. Okay. And, and what ends up being the, what ends up coming to a head is essentially like the old world is still trying to reassert itself. Like these men can still get um, access to biological weapons and nukes and, and they still have all this money they can use to, to reassert themselves. Like to make a new world where women are truly respected or on top, we just need to blow the whole thing up and start over. Yeah. Yeah. And so the cataclysm happens and then 5,000 years pass and then we are in this world that, again, basically feels like our own, except with women in charge and they have powers of electricity. <laughs> but it's it's 5,000 years later. And that's the time that the that Naomi and Neil are chatting and writing this like historical novel. From. And based on what you've read from them, it sounds like by that point it is, for lack of a better word like pretty well settled like that's just the way the world is yeah and it's it's the way the world is and it's been the way the world is for so long that that naomi's like oh this is really interesting but i don't know that there's really there's proof and there's evidence in the historical record for like whole armies made up of men and like women who didn't have the power and you know yeah yeah well, okay. And it's That's... it's been and then they get into a talk about like okay, this like history is written by the victors. You have these dark ages where people are kind of copying books manually and of course the people who are copying are mostly religious and so they're going to preserve things that are sort of forward and conform with their own way of thinking. Huh. And erase stuff that doesn't and yeah, it's a lot that, of That yeah. sells me on the frame narrative and so do you did it like sell you as you were reading it on the frame narrative because it sounds like that is just one more way in which alderman is able to explore power dynamics and actually explore them on this kind of like macro historical scale yeah i i I enjoyed the frame narrative um the new york times review took a little bit of issue with that i know you do you want to talk about that in any more in any more depth or do you Um, just want to acknowledge that that's Most, what they said and move on. <laughs> yeah, I think they they took some issues with like they actually didn't enjoy the the iPad thing that you referenced and I thought it was funny. And <laughs> <laughs> um and seemed to be in a place where I usually find myself with frame narratives um or at least when I don't like them it's because I feel like they're unnecessary. Like I feel like they don't they're they're because you didn't trust the thing you were writing in the first place. I, I think that to, to take it back to Atwood. Oh yeah. I don't, I don't think this would be as polarizing as the like coda to a handmaid's tale is where they're in a classroom discussing the events of the book. I don't think it's, it's, I don't think people would have a problem with this the way they have with that. But I also think they're not totally dissimilar. Yeah, it, well, as you were describing it, it sounds very sim- like having it have an academic angle in some way. Like I, I it- can see how you would think that it's Alderman saying, "Hey, did you did you see what I did? You see what I was doing there? Did you get yeah. it?" <laughs> I didn't. I didn't feel that personally, but I could see how you. I, I. That's a totally valid read of it that I would get if that's how it made you feel. Yeah, but what you just described to me, like. 
the fact that their relationship, Naomi and Neil's, I keep wanting to say Noah, but there's no H in her name. Um, her, uh, so Naomi and Neil's relationship. Naomi as, Alderman. As feeling like really settled and having the like academic relationship that like the mid 20th century or like, you know, before f- even like first wave feminism as we think of it today, like. Yeah, there might be something there, there, but I don't know. Like, that feels... Having that feel settled and squared away seems like an important exploration of power in as much as what happens, like, during the flip of power. Yeah, and I, I think you're, you're... I think you've pinpointed where this fictional society is. Like, it's it's not quite... There haven't been as many waves of... Like mm-hmm. men's rights, as as we have had waves of feminism. Sure. Um, I have one suggestion. This is Naomi talking to Neil. I have one suggestion now. You've explained to me how anything you do is framed by your gender, that the frame is as inescapable as it is nonsensical. Every book you write is assessed as part of men's literature. So what I'm suggesting is just a response to that. Really, nothing more. But there's a long tradition of men who found a way out of that particular bind. You'd be in good company. Neil, I know this might be very distasteful to you, but have you considered publishing this book under a woman's name? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> just hearing that stressed me out oh no yeah that's pretty good huh yeah i thought it was pretty good yeah wow good. okay i don't really have a lot else to say i don't think. <laughs> like i there are there are individual like just the way it's it's it the way it's written like the way that the prose you know how sometimes you read a book and as events intensify and as you get toward the like emotional peak of it, like yeah. it pulls you more and it's harder to put it down. That definitely happens here. Um, the world is like it, it's doing this interesting gender stuff, but also you just want to spend time with the characters and you want to understand their motivations and you want to like know what's up with them. Um, um, there are some like smaller individual character moments and twists that I've skipped over. Sure. Sure. Cause they aren't as thematically a big deal, but they are a big deal within the arcs of the, of each character. As we've talked about it, it seems like it's been pretty, like most of the conflict has been like these women, um, asserting their power and, and rising to power, um, to take over a male society so that they can kind of blow up the system. Yeah, and then um, a lot of the a lot of the smaller conflicts within that conflict are men saying, "Well, no, not not so fast." Okay, like there's this whole internet community of like what is basically red pilled people, except with an actual reason to feel grievance. Yep. And, <laughs> yep. Instead of yeah, instead of nothing. Yeah, I was going to ask if there was that kind of like radicalized. There is that, and I think episode. that's yeah. that, that's part of what Alderman is saying when she says current events have caught up with the book in some in some strange yeah. ways. Are there um, are there conflicts between women in the book? Yes. Um, there's one particularly just really difficult scene at the end. It's kind of a war scene. So you've got the, you've got this fictional country that women have been running and things are going off the rails. The women are all hopped up on this drug that makes their power super wild. Okay. And 
they go into this refugee camp. Like there have been laws passed in this country that have slowly made it like illegal for men to to go out without women. Like people are starting to talk about, you know, we need men to continue the species, but how many really do we need for that? Yep. Yep. Um, and so you, you've gotten to this point where male life is pretty close to worthless. It's just like not, it's just not valued. Sure. And so you've got this, this refugee camp made up mostly of men and these, rogue women soldiers come through and burn the whole thing down and rape people and like kill children. And it's, okay. it's really, it's tough to read They're sort of, I don't know if you want, if you want to think about maybe like the apocalypse now kind of vein where yeah. okay. war strips us of our humanity. Yeah. In a lot of ways, like it's in, it's in that. Tradition, yeah, I think almost. It sounds like the types, the things that she said about power um, and about what it does to people, regardless of gender, make it. I was just interested to know like the different shades of it. And yeah, it does, so, so yeah, that happens, and there are women who are observing it who are saying, "This is this is too far. This okay. is not great." Okay. Yeah. Um, it's not that there's like open conflict so much, but there are different like shades of of thinking about. It sounds like a more complicated book than oh, all the women got superpowers and then it was just like Avengers versus whoever the Avengers fight. Like, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's not just good guys or like good gals. Who's bad what's guys. the name of the chin? That chin guy, guy with the big chin. Thanos. Yeah, Thanos. It's not that. It's not that. Okay. Thank That's what I got. I I wanted to read I wanted to read a book that people thought was good and I have I don't know if it, I've, if I would say weakness affinity I have an affection for like if you go back to World War Z I have an affection oh, for yeah. books that sort of detail how like a specific way in which our society might crumble that doesn't feel <laughs> that doesn't feel completely like it could happen next week you know. Oh, yeah. Like, you're interested in the ramifications of a thing that you might not actually have to worry about. It's Yeah, some people like historical or what-if fiction, and I'm just like, what if everything went bad, and then maybe I can come back to a world that a lot of people are trying to hold together, and I don't know. Sure. I can just I like get that. all that apocalyptic stuff out of my system through fiction. That's I think that's what it's there for, but then some people like to live in it which is not good. I don't know. I once heard about if a zombie thing actually happened, all the animals would just eat all the zombies. And like, if we just hung out for long enough, we'd be fine. So Maybe the animals become zombies then. I don't, I've, well, that could happen. Yeah. So, but if they there you don't, go, smart guy. But if they don't, then maybe there'd just be a lot of vultures when we all crawled out of our gymnasiums that we were hiding in. <laughs> so then it's us versus the vultures. Um, if you, the listener, have a favorite apocalypse that you want to tell us about, you can shoot us an email at overduepod at gmail.com. Or if you've read that Herland book, uh, I think we both want to know a little bit more about that. Or if you that. read this one. This, is a, yeah. this gets the overdue good book medal of excellence. Sponsored by Sponsored Mountain Dew. Sponsored by Mountain Dew Taco Bell Doritos. Yep. Pizza Hut. Taco Bell Doritos. 
You can also send us your favorite branded awards at uh, our social feeds. That's facebook.com slash overdue pod or twitter.com slash overdue pod. Thanks to Rob, Santiago, Rebecca, Steve, Amanda, Becky, Leanne, Andy, Michael, Danielle, Kat, Robin, Cheyenne, Morgan, Melody, and many more for making us feel good throughout the week and helping spread the word about the show using social media. Andrew. Social media. Social if folks and then want to you know remember, that's the, the that was those were people who contacted us about the choose your own adventure thing, right? Not the people who actually contacted us in the last week. Yes, correct. Because we were recording this out of time, because this is a document from five thousand years in the future or the past or however it works. Uh-huh. Um, those are folks who reached out. Thank in response at to choose some your own point adventure. in the recent past. I don't about know anymore. Go back and listen to all of our old episodes. Andrew, where do people find those? Overduepodcast.com. We have all the old episodes up there, as well as a new listener page that you can use to to see some ones that we think are good. We need to update that one. And in fact, I think we already went through and picked some that I just never ended up posting. So I need to dig back through our chat history and find out what those were. But if you're trying to recommend the show to someone, that new listener page shows some episodes that we think are either we thought were that we're proud of i guess is that right we're lost in this outro they're good episodes that of books we like or episodes we thought went well yeah there you go i'm so tired (laughs) um we'll have our june schedule up on the site soon as well Um, also subscribe and apple Podcasts and rate and review us that's it i that's all i got that's it that's all next week we're gonna read something we'll tweet about it keep an eye out welcome to the future welcome to the future until Next week, everyone, try to be happy. That was a headgum podcast.